In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for the opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. I can't sit here and remain silent because that's exactly what we've done every time our black community screams and yells for help. We have to end social injustices and racial inequalities. We have to end the police violence against our black communities. You know, black lives matter. I don't understand why that's so freaking hard for the white community to say. Black lives matter. I've been ignorant. I've been ignorant to the real problem. Um, and I'm ashamed of that. I just came to the realization here over the last 10 days with some really hard, difficult conversations that we've had as an organization, as a team, with my family, with my sons. Uh, and I've been ignorant to the real problem. You see, this is not a black problem. This is a white problem. This is, a, this is an issue that we have to talk about. And we can't, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't sugarcoat our way out of this. We can't go back into our bubble because that's what we've always done. We've always gone right back into our, into our bubble and we've never really listened. We haven't listened. I haven't listened. We haven't listened as a country. White America refuses to listen. We want to keep things the same and it can't or we're continue down the same path we're continuing down. And that has to change and nothing will change until we do that. I'm ashamed of that. And there you have it. Welcome to 1% Better. You just heard the voice of Chris Ballard, Colts General Manager, talking about a topic that has touched all of us in some form or fashion. We have seen uh, the events play out over the past nine or 10 days in our country. Uh, stemming from the death of George Floyd, and that now has touched the Indianapolis Colts organization. You just heard Chris Ballard talking on a very personal level about yeah. how it's impacted him. Uh, Zach, I, I think we both, and this will probably be a little bit of a different episode, and that's fine, uh, but I think we have both gotten to know Chris Ballard, I think, on a very personal level the past few years. Um, from a reporter slash team perspective, I mean, it doesn't usually work that way. But yeah, this, even despite that, I thought was the most raw I've seen him maybe since the death of Evan Jackson a few years ago, which was an yeah. absolute utter tragedy. But um, we didn't see this coming. We didn't know he was going to do this. What were your first reactions, I guess? Let me just yeah, that. it's a good point you made there because we've been through... <laughs> I don't want to say we, but we've been through a lot with Chris Ballard. This has been a very eventful GM 
tenureship, if you want to call it that. And, and he's been very open with us about that. I mean, he dealt with the Andrew Luck situation his entire first year. Basically, every press conference was, hey, how's that guy's arm? Um, there was the Edwin Jackson tragedy. There was the Josh McDaniels leaving him at the doorstep. There was Andrew coming back and the emotional hug they had when they made the playoffs last season in Tennessee. And there was Andrew's surprising retirement. And uh, this guy's been through a lot as the GM. And, and I'm totally on board with you. This was as emotional and raw as I've seen him. And we've seen him emotional and raw before. But this was, you know, th- the first thing he said. He gets on there and we didn't even know we were talking to him this morning. And and you and I have talked to him a little bit this week, but I didn't know this was coming. And, and he basically just got on to a press conference after we finished with Mike Groh, the new receivers coach, and said, I'm not here to talk about football. And then he went on for about 20 minutes and he said what all of you guys have, have heard and seen and read. Um, and you're right. I mean, this guy was fighting back tears and this was emotional. And he took a lot of blame on himself. And it was um, this was genuine. This was not scripted. And it was some of the most rare genuine words I think you're going to hear from an executive in any league in any sport right now. Exactly. I agree with all of that. I think it's, and here's how I know that it was genuine because as you mentioned just now, we both have, you know, had a few exchanges with Ballard this week and we often do that, you know, just about a range of topics. Yeah. What's going on with the team. I will tell you, um, and I don't know that he would mind me saying this. I hope he doesn't, uh, I was sitting there with my wife over the weekend, Saturday evening, in fact. Um, we were sitting there, and we were watching some of the coverage. That You know, the weekend, things really got heated over the weekend yeah. in some of the, the demonstrations. And, uh, you know, we were sitting there in bewilderment watching this play out, and my phone dinged Saturday evening. I got a text, and it was Chris Ballard. And he actually was uh, sharing a little bit of what he shared in that, in that video or with us in that video conference today and not certainly not as in depth and not as long. And it was just a text, but, um, it, it was him revealing that, you know what? I, I'm learning a lot here. And he's like, we got, we got a lot of work to do. And, and that was totally, um, unsolicited. I was just sitting there minding my own business. We had just come from getting ice cream with my daughter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we weren't thinking about, I wasn't thinking about the Colts. Um, but, but certainly he was probably having the same experience we were, you know, watching a lot of these events play out. And then, and maybe I think for a lot of us, it has made us get introspective and try to figure out how did we get here? You know, and I think that's, that's the question maybe all of us should ask, you know, regardless of how you feel about any topic that is controversial, I think, how did we get here? And so I think that's what, that's the conversation I think he was having with himself at that particular moment. And, and he and I, and, and a lot of us have talked about some of these, you know, sort of sensitive issues in the past. And I think that was a continuation of it. And it was his way of saying, Hey, you know what? Um, I don't know, know as much as I thought I knew. And so, you know, look, I'm black. It's, it's a factor. And, and I think, you know, certainly I'm sure he's read my social media maybe, and he knows that I express some opinions, but whatever. I mean, but I, it doesn't even, even if none of that were true, I think he, he prompted that conversation and says, man, I, I got to look at myself in the mirror. Not that he's a racist or anything. It's just more like, what can I do? What more can I personally do? And, and so I guess my point here is I don't, I don't want to get like on a soapbox. I'm not a preacher, but, but I do think there's a lesson in here for all of us, white, black, whatever the lesson. And what Chris Ballard did is do what Chris Ballard did, which is look in the mirror <laughs> and say, am I doing my part? And, and, and I think, that to me says a lot. Uh, let me ask you this. 
and get your thoughts on this. When, as I've been asked this a lot, you know, does this matter in terms of the locker room and that kind of thing? And, and I think the answer varies depending on your viewpoint. But what do you think here? I, do you think when the players see and hear this, because they will see the video and they will take all of that in, um, what, is it, what does it mean to them? What do you think it matters and how does that play in the locker room, do you think? Yeah, so and this is one of the most interesting things I took from the entire conversation with Chris Ballard was the locker room. And he's talked about this a lot before because – in a lot of ways, he felt that the locker room was colorless, right? In football, they always say the best guy plays. They don't see color. You're just ingrained with that idea. And, and Naheem Hines, the running back, talked about this yesterday. And Bobby Okariki did as well. And you just grow up playing football, black, white. After a while, you just stop thinking about race. But Ballard made a really interesting point. And I think this is what he took from the conversations with his players the last two days was – the minute these guys leave the locker room, everything changes for the black athletes. And this was something maybe he didn't see before that he sees now. And a player told a story about going to buy a car and, and worried about how the police would look at him differently if he had a nice car. Or another player going to dinner and getting double looks with his family. Um, the daily experiences of the black athlete that maybe Chris Ballard didn't see before, maybe that I didn't know about because, you know, you've been in locker rooms for 20 years. You forget about it. You don't see it because every, it's just it's just sort of it's the beauty of sports in a lot of ways. And I know a lot of players have talked to me about that, how much diversity it brings to them and the way they think because they have so many great friends and great teammates of different races. And that's that's the great thing about sports. Right. But but Ballard made a good point, and, and I think a lot of the players said the same thing. They said these are some of the most powerful conversations they've ever had about race. And the beauty of that is that it came you know, because of football and because of the team they play on, but it's also something that's opening up a lot of eyes. And I think Ballard, I think those were two of those eyes that were opened up over the last couple of days because Frank Reich, you know, he began the meeting and he said, look, I'm going to give you guys the floor. And, and Ballard said it, it meant the world to him to hear his players come out and speak their minds. And I think everybody was better for it. And I think that's one of the good things about this team is you got a coach like Frank Reich speaking completely separate from football. You got a coach like Frank Reich who encourages this. And we all heard what Frank said on Monday. And then you got a GM from Chris Ballard who sits back and listens and then looks himself in the mirror. Um, pretty powerful stuff from Frank Reich early in the week and from Chris Ballard this morning. Yeah, so you mentioned Frank Reich, and I think uh, it's important to circle back to what he did as well. So we we generally, through the last month or so, have have met with Frank Reich virtually. I think we've talked about this on the on these podcasts. Obviously, uh, we've met with him just about every Monday uh, in the last month or so on you know through video conference, just update what's going on with the team, what have you. And this week was very different and. Yeah, he he obviously uh, opened the call with with a purpose, and he said, "Hey, before we get into anything, I got something to say." And Frank Reich had written out of uh, a, a, basically a message uh, that addressed a lot of the same issues that uh, that Chris Ballard just talked about. Now they're very different individuals, right? Chris Ballard is just sort of off the cuff and like, this is me and I'm going to give you, I'm going to cut a vein and you're going to get me. (laughs) Frank Reich is while also a very genuine person, but he's, he's very, 
uh, stru- uh, structured, I would say, right? So what did he do? He wrote out an actual message, a little bit of a speech, in fact, right? And and he you, read it to you us. You get that pastor in him still. It's the exactly. It's the pastor preparing for that Sunday sermon. Uh, so they go about it differently, but their their goals were the same. Their intent was the same. But I what I what I'm bringing that up for though is to make this point. I think that. It was. It's very interesting. If you listen to Frank, one of the things he always says, and and I think people in the building, uh, Cold Tech Quarter, say this all the time. Everything matters. They always say that, right? So, in this case, how does that pertain here? And I've been thinking about this, and you can give me your thoughts. Uh, they say everything matters. Well, how does that matter here? I think it matters in that. Uh, you know, why haven't they th- performed any real football duties the past two days, right? Why spend two days doing this? And I think. Yeah. You know, you talked about it being uh, being a team and, and the, the locker room being colorless. Look, black athletes, honestly, are not minorities in the locker room, okay? They're just not. So it's a very different world. But um, I think when you talk about leadership, tell me your thoughts on this. One of the, the ways leadership can manifest, I think, is, is by those who you're in leadership of knowing that you've got their back and that you, you, you hear them and that that they matter all of that i mean who do you work harder for someone who who you think really cares about you and what matters to you or someone who who makes it all business i think that matters i mean i i don't know i mean i, I know that that wasn't why they're doing this but i think it matters to those guys i mean and do you think that do you think it says something about leadership and and how the players respond to them as leaders to some extent it's been fascinating to see how these they're not just football players anymore and it seemed like for a long time they were and it seems like we're all starting to understand that more every day at least from my perspective you see mm-hmm. Darius Leonard's out on the streets and he's marching and he's protesting peacefully and you hear Frank Reich address it with his team on Monday or on Tuesday and say I would never tell them not to do that I would never tell them to quiet their voices and an unsung hero in the organization, those are the words of Chris Ballard, is David Thornton, who has done untold work behind the scenes and helping these young players. And you've heard about it, and I've heard about it, and I've written about it, but um, he took a center role in this. And he's the player director of player engagement. He's a former Colt. Everybody knows DT in the Colts building. Um, and I think led by guys like Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, they're starting to see these guys and these athletes as more than just football players um, with thoughts of their own and beliefs of their own and experiences of their own. And it's refreshing to hear Frank, not just hear what these players are saying, but listen to what they're saying and respect the experiences that they've had. And then Chris took it a step further and said, I was ignorant of the experiences that they had. I thought I was seeing things through a unbiased lens and I wasn't and I apologize for that and because of these long conversations these guys have had he's seen things differently and he talked about and this is Chris at his best in terms of just peeling back um, and being honest he was talking about how difficult it was to talk about this with his son and try to explain why racism exists in the country and why George George Floyd has a knee on his throat for eight minutes and it was real stuff. And I think all the parents out there are dealing with this in different ways. And we're all watching this on the news every night and experiencing it in different ways and have different thoughts on it. But um, I think absolutely you're right. 
when you have a coach that wants to hear from you about who you are as a person away from the game and genuinely wants to listen to your experience, that's a guy you want to play for. I think every Colts fan out there knows they've got a special leader in Frank Reich. And I think they've got a special leader in Chris Ballard as well. And I'm just being, I'm just being completely honest here. These guys, I mean, you find two better statements out there from someone in the NFL in a leadership role this week because I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and as an aside to something you just said, you mentioned Ballard specifically talking about the conversations with his children. And I thought that was the most relatable thing he said. Uh, it was all good, don't get me wrong, but it was the most like r- really relatable thing of all the things that you said, because it applies to all of us. And we have all, now your kids are too young maybe, but like, but all yeah. of us who have children who are, you know, they walk in the room and the news is on and like, okay, that what is happening? And so trying, you have to explain that, right? You can't just tell them, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Well, no, that's, that's not how the world works. I mean, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we do, you know, just tell our kids, don't worry about it. And it's not a big deal. No, it is. We, we, and I think at least I don't, tell anybody how to parent but i mean that's that's my approach right is no no sit down let's talk about this and so my point is i thought that was that put such a human face on his comments to me uh, so did the, the rest of it but but that yeah. in particular i was like okay you know what that's me i did that this week you know and i think a lot of people around the country who are you know who in from various walks of life and backgrounds and regions all are going through that and trying to make sense of it for their kids and so yeah i, I think that's why you know if you're chris ballard someone like him you, you come to this place with this realization like whoa whoa wait a minute i, I can't even i can't really f- f- completely explain this to my kids because i don't f- have a firm grasp on this even and so that was just really interesting to me. I, I'm not really making a point here. I just really thought that no, was a really interesting here, I, I pulled it up. I think everyone should hear what, what Chris said about this. This is him talking to his son. His wife and his girls are out of town this week, so it's just his son at the house, and he's trying to explain this all to him, and here's what he said. This is how I put it to my son the other day. I said, close your eyes, and I want you to think about this. A police officer has got a man, has his knee on him. He's choking him. He's sucking all the air out of him, and I want you to think that's your father who's white. Think about what your reaction would be and think about what seeing that over and over and over again would be like. You'd be angry and you'd be hurt. And so he was struggling. Chris was struggling explaining this to his sons. And I'm sure he's not alone in that. And I think the realization that you have to think about it if if you're on the other side and this is happening over and over and over again and there's no explanation and there's no way to explain it to your kids it's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. It's all of the above. And that was as real as he got. I mean, this is, you know, this was unprompted. This was not planned. This was, um, this was him being a human being. And and even at the end, he was like, do not ask me about football. We're not talking about football today. Some pretty real stuff from Mm -hmm. the Colts GM. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The last, over the last 24 hours, there's been a lot of talk about Drew Brees and his comments on, I believe Wednesday. And, now, Drew Brees is not a coach or a GM, and and actually it should be stated that uh, Sean Payton, the head coach of the Saints, actually has offered one of the most, I think, impassioned uh, responses to what we've seen in the past week. So, uh, so, so the 
the Saints have have kind of said their piece in that respect. But then um, I liken the quarterback, especially one of that stature, I liken the quarterback to almost like the same level as the head coach and GM oh, uh, when yeah, you're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback. And and it's very interesting because um, if you didn't hear what he said, basically the gist of it was that you know he he felt very strongly about the question was about players taking a knee. He made it clear he felt very strongly. Uh, in opposition of that, which is his right, but I think um, he was very firm and inflexible about it and doing that uh, in light of current events and in light of the fact that he clearly knows that many of his teammates disagree with him, uh, it caused a stir. And so what what am I getting at? What I'm saying is that's an instance where, look, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you have to have a sensitivity to to those in your charge. And, And I think Drew Brees maybe failed to do that. And so what what we have here with the Colts is the opposite. We have players who feel heard and and can say, I'm being heard and listened to and seen. All of the things that those protesters are saying is not happening for them. That why are they protesting? Because they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard, right? So Correct. so now if you're a Colts player, you can you can at least say within the four walls of this building, I feel heard and I feel like someone's listening to me. And so that creates what I mean. Think about the environment that creates versus the environment the opposite creates, which is, oh, so you still don't care, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that's that's a very different situation. And I just think with football, I think in a team sport where you got to lay your body on the line for somebody, man, that stuff matters to me, man. I, I think that matters, and um, I think this is already a pretty close knit team. Um, you tell think me, they're closer this week than they were last well, week? Well, that was my that was going to be my question. I mean, tell tell the listeners like you're in the locker room every day, you observe and you've covered a lot of these teams. How close did of a team has this been and then what do you think has transpired on that in that regard this week with with all that has been put on, you know, laid bare, I guess. Yeah, and it's one of those things that no one expected this, no one saw this coming, but they were supposed to do install this week and they didn't get to any of it. It sounds like, you know, they, they, they had these mm. conversations and they, these were long and some of the coaches spoke up and a lot of the players spoke up and um, Bobby Okariki said, you know, this was among the most important and beneficial conversations on race I've ever had in my life. And this is one of the coolest parts about football. And I mentioned this before, but a lot of players will tell you this is, a team is made up of guys from all over the country with backgrounds that couldn't be more different. And that's why it's such an amazing um, sport. And, and that's why sports are great because it brings these all these guys together and it brings all these different viewpoints together. And sometimes they maybe not, they don't get to hear all those viewpoints because Naheem Hines said yesterday, race doesn't come up in the locker room that often. You're playing football and they're just, they get along well. And these guys are good guys, generally speaking. I mean, I think right now this is probably the best group of, guys to work with from our end that we've ever had in the Colts locker. We've never really had any big issue yeah. guys, but uh, there have definitely been guys we didn't get along with. And, and right now I can't think of very many. Um, but Naheem, you know, whose who's grandmother marched with Martin Luther King Jr. and whose grandfather participated in the sit-ins in Greensboro, North Carolina. I mean, he, he said he's never really talked about this with some of these guys. And so this is the situation that all these events, the tragic events of George Floyd is pulling them together and pushing these conversations to the forefront. And it's hard to imagine them not being closer after this. Um, White, black, all of it. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out in the coming weeks and months and when we get to training camp and and football really starts again. But 
Um, this is something that will stay with guys for a long time. I really do believe that. Yeah, I, I do think that when you go through stuff together as a team, and and in and in a way, we're all going through something because look, whether you care or don't care, everyone, no one feels good when the country's in turmoil, you know? So, so we're all kind of going through something in a way, you know? So, so they're going through it together, right? Because um, obviously they're not technically family and they all have their own families and loved ones, but, but I mean, that's as close to family as you're going to get outside of your own home. And so they're going through this together. And I I just think when you go through stuff together, um, emotional challenges or, or anything that where where you have to lay your emotions bare, I, I think it brings you closer. It, it just it how could it not right? So yeah, uh, whether that makes a difference, you know, in mid October, I don't know. I I don't think it hurts though, and and I do think, as I said, their response to leadership and and the way leadership has handled this, that I think will will pay dividends potentially, and so I really do think. Uh, this stuff matters, and that's what I get back to the, the statement I made earlier, which is one that I'm borrowing from Frank Reich, and he says everything matters. And so, um, yeah. And another thing that's jumped out is a lot of players have said unprompted that we've talked to in the last ten days how proud they are to play for this organization, and, and yeah. maybe this sounds like Colts PR. They're not paying me, I promise you, but um, that matters too. Like being proud of the organization you play for. Whether you're the starting quarterback or the 63rd guy on the roster, you know, Naheem said it, Bobby Okariki said it, um, DeForest Buckner said it last week. I mean, this is um, this is an organization, they, they feel hurt, their voices matter, and they feel like they can trust the guys at the top. And, and that's a big deal, and, and that's not always the case in a lot of these teams and a lot of these leagues across the, across the country. So, um, you know, they have mentioned that. They've gone out of their way to mention that. Um, that's the environment they're building here. And I think a lot of us can respect that. That's how it should be. The players should be heard in these situations. Yeah. One, one last point I want to make, I guess, on protest or not even just protest, just on all of these social issues is, um, you know, on the heels of a story I wrote this morning or filed or posted, excuse me, this morning on uh, Darius Butler, who we all know very well from having played for the Colts, uh, for six, seven years. Uh, sort of reflecting on his decision to take a knee in protest in 2017. And I was actually cap- captivated and talking to him about how difficult that decision was and all the implications, right? Um, you are putting yourself in a microscope by doing that, right? And so he was talking about that. But I bring that up because Chris Ballard was asked today just about how the team might react in terms of be it demonstration or some sort of show of unity we don't know but but clearly i think players wheels are probably turning <laughs> okay yeah and they the talked about it getting in the closer. yeah yeah so um so recap for the listener what he said if you don't mind um i think it was it was interesting and i think it's something to watch as the season gets closer i mean he didn't say no to kneeling but he did say they would do it collectively what were your thoughts on uh, whatever they did they would do it collectively what were your thoughts on what he said there and and what do you think the potential outcomes are yeah and he said you know going back to 17 when a dozen or so of the Colts protested and and knelt you know Chris Ballard said we didn't listen I didn't listen I didn't listen to Darius Butler he tried to explain I thought I heard him but I didn't um and that might change the way he approaches this fall and Bob Kravitz our colleague at the athletic asked the question if they knelt how would you react what would your stance be and 
Chris said, look, whatever we end up doing, we're going to support it, but we're going to do it together. Um, the players have started to discuss what they want to do, whether they do it in a couple months when football returns remains to be seen. But um, at this point, it sounds like if they do something, they're going to do it together. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, really interesting. So, uh, hey, before we get out of here, I, I do think we should maybe just touch on a couple quick updates. There, There is football conversation happening. Uh, I know that it's taking a back seat, but we, you know, we just want to keep you updated. Um, we've, we've had our regular conversations this week with a variety of people, uh, Frank Reich, uh, and this week, the assistant coaches as well. Uh, before we get to the, the coaches, um, Zach, just give us a quick, I think, rundown of uh, the conversation with Naheem Hines. He's been such an interesting player to talk about this this offseason just because the way he ended last season with the, the pop that he showed in those yeah. two punt return touchdowns. And I think he's just been at the tip of a lot of people's tongue. Uh, you had a story about it. Um, what what are your thoughts and, and what would you make of what he said? Look out for Naheem Hines in 2020. Those are not my words. Those are Frank Reich's words and Nick Sirianni's words. And we've heard it about 15 times this offseason. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. I don't need to tell you guys out there that Philip Rivers loves throwing the ball to his running backs. Frank Reich called it an uncanny ability to find running backs when plays break down. And, and Naheem is perfect for this. And I was screaming last year at the end of the season, why didn't they get this guy the ball more? It doesn't make sense to me. He's so good in space. And, and Naheem said, I've always prided myself in being the guy who can take a five-yard dump and turn it into 50. Well, it wasn't dump-offs that he took to 50, but he had the fourth highest uh, return yards in NFL history against the Panthers in December last year. <laughs> and everyone's wondering why he wasn't getting more returns. He's, he's going to try and be the return man this year, both in punt and kickoffs. That's his goal. He says he wants to earn that job. It's going to be tougher to get carries out of the backfield with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. But look for Naheem Hines to get a huge uptick in, 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 in catches. You know, Sirianni mentioned Danny Woodhead, who had 70, 76 catches one year and 80 another year in San Diego with Rivers. Um, Naheem had no games last year with 10 catches. Frank said it would not be a surprise to him if he had a couple games this year where he had 10 catches. So he's a guy that can turn a little into a lot. I like his role in this offense. I know we're talking about Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle and Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. But as Frank and Nick have said multiple times this offseason, do not forget about Naheem Hines. I love his skill set, and I think he could have a big jump in year three. They just got to get him the ball, and I think Rivers is the quarterback who will do that. I'll, I'll say this, and this is something that th – this is the kind of statement that ends up with me with having an egg on my face uh, because we probably said this last year too, but <laughs> it does feel like spreading the ball around will be a challenge. For them, just as a team, you know, wide receivers, running backs. I mean, they yeah, have a lot of only one football. Put, yeah, they got a lot of potential playmakers. Of course, we thought they were deep at wide receiver last year, and by the end of the year, they were pulling guys off the practice squad. So, uh, yeah. a lot can happen. <laughs> but uh, if you know, if people stay healthy and and they get what they think they're going to get from from a lot of these guys, it, it'll be interesting. So, I, I can't tell you to run out and buy Naheem Hines stock you know if you're a fantasy football player but um does seem like he's worth a, <laughs> it does seem like he's worth a pick right now um one other a couple other topics to cover real quick we met today or heard from for the very first time uh from defensive line coach brian baker i thought i was thoroughly impressed by him and yeah it, it's interesting he's got a different resume than most guys we deal with uh he has been coaching for i, I think 
almost 30 years. But He's got the uh, longest resume I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. He's like, worked Nate, everywhere. I think he's worked for 10 or 12 NFL teams, plus a half dozen college teams. Yeah. But the interesting thing, the twist to it is that he's been in college for the past five years and and has been away from the NFL. So this is going to be a reacclimation process for him. But, but I also think, and tell me if you agree, I, I think this is going to be um, sort of a – rejuvenating for him maybe because he's going to bring a different mindset to it. He's been coaching college kids for, for the past several years. Now he's going to have to sort of change gears and, and coach like a range of guys. Um, yeah. He's got, you know, 31 year old Justin Houston. And then he's got, you know, guys who just got here on the NFL's doorstep. So um, did you have any takeaways from, from listening to Baker talk today? It, it was funny listening to him mention how he hasn't been that plugged in with the NFL. He's been so focused on the college game. He coached at Mississippi state and then Alabama mm-hmm. last year. And he said he was watching the Super Bowl, and he's like, who is that number 99 in red? And it was DeForest Buckner, and he's like, it'd be great to have him. And then when the Ballard made the trade in March, he said it was like Christmas Day. So he really likes his group. He, he likes the versatility of it. They even talked about Danico Autry at end, possibly. Um, he loves what Kamoko Ture is going to bring. Um, but it starts with Buckner, and he's he's amped to get that guy. And he he loves he loves him some Grover Stewart, too. Don't, don't disregard that. Yeah. Yeah, barroom brawler, he called him. So yeah. thought that was actually a pretty accurate description. Uh, and then finally, Tom Rathman. We love Tom Rathman. Uh, he's just a, he's just old school, man. And he's the best. Yeah, he really is the best, and you just love hearing from him. Uh, I think we talked briefly about something that I think we've, we've thought about for a long time. The, the knock on Jonathan Taylor, the one that everyone knows, is too many fumbles in college. And um, I don't think he could have ended up with a better – Who's the one guy coach? who hates fumbles more than anyone in NFL history? It's Tom Rathman. You don't fumble on his watch. Uh, look, we went through this with Naheem Hines, though, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember year? those early returns? Uh, punt return, kick return, his rookie year in the preseason. Yeah. And so Rathman, Tom Rathman was killing him. He beat it out of him. Okay. He said, You fumbled more in one preseason game than I did in my whole career. <laughs> That's the greatest quote in history. <laughs> That's great. Uh, because it's so true. I mean, but it's true. And so I think that, you know, the Colts, I'm not saying it's, it's the reason they drafted Jonathan Taylor, but it, it is one of the reasons they were willing to to look past, if that's the wrong word, but one of the reasons they were willing to accept, you know, the, the fumble knock uh, on yeah. Taylor because they know they have Tom Rathman. They believe in his ability to... To coach that out of guys. so That's what I, Kevin I Rogers, him. director of pro personnel, said on draft night. He said, look, we got Rathman and no one hates fumbles more than him. And um, You've seen this the last couple of years at different positions too. They draft guys betting on the coaching and yeah. they believe in their coaching staff and they believe that Tom Rathman is going to get Jonathan Taylor to fix his fumbling happen. Yeah, so, something to watch for. And I, I actually think they're on to something there because he's, he's proven it in the past. So Anyway, hope you got something out of today's podcast. Uh, certainly been a little bit of a different week in the NFL, a different week for everybody, but um, you know we couldn't obviously deny or ignore, I should say, uh, what has been top of mind in the organization this week. So, um, you know, we we're, we ref- the podcast reflects what's happening with the team. And yeah, that was the way to go. So. Uh, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, lots of good coverage on The Athletic. We appreciate you. Sports are getting close to getting back, so thanks for hanging in there with us. But uh, we're still going to have coverage 
of the Colts and everything else in town, Pacers, IU, basketball, you name it. So uh, thanks for your continued support. And uh, check us out next week. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening to 1% Better.